I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrew, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as, as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Welcome to episode 43 of the Talking Golf History Podcast. Imagine trying to communicate the story of the history of golf without the visual image, moving pictures, or video. Not knowing what old Tom Morris, Bobby Jones, Ben Hogan, or even what Jack Nicklaus looked like playing in his prime. Imagine not having the indelible images of Bobby Jones being carried off the green by a foreign crowd at St. Andrews, or Ben Hogan's miraculous one-iron at Marion. That is what makes the visual image important in the game of golf. It captures a moment in time that along with the historical record, which helps cement an ancient event in the minds of the modern man and woman. Images are like a time machine that take us back to the past. And today, on the Talking Golf History Podcast, we are going to dive into the history of Howard Schickler's amazing golf photo collection that was just recently acquired by the USGA Golf Museum. Before we jump into preserving the past, I'd like to say a word about the Golf Heritage Society. I want to encourage people from all over the world to join the Golf Heritage Society which until the end of the year is only charging $25 for their membership. In an effort to raise interest, I will be purchasing and donating four Golf Heritage Society memberships to golfers and or historians who live in the Southeast United States. If you have an interest, please reach out to me at thesocietyofgolfhistorians at gmail.com. More details to follow. Today on our show, I am so happy to introduce the Senior Director of the USGA Golf Museum, Hilary Cronheim, and art gallery owner, photography collector, and curator, Howard Schickler, to talk about the USGA's museum's most recent photography acquisition. Howard Schickler spent decades scouring the planet Earth to build a visual history of the game of golf. Some of the earliest images of the game all the way to personal photo collections of our early major championship winners, and an amazing early visual history of women's golf. Without further ado, let's get our own snapshot of the USGA's latest acquisition. Howard and Hillary, thank you so much for joining us on the 43rd episode of the Talking Golf History Podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having us, Connor. Uh, Hillary, before we dive into the collection, would you mind sharing with our audience what you do for the USGA? Sure. So I am the director of the USGA Golf Museum, the uh, nation's oldest sports museum and the world's uh, leading collection for the leading museum for the collection in preservation and dissemination of golf history. So as the director of the museum, I oversee execution of all of the museum's strategic initiatives, which include strengthening our premier collection, expanding public programming, 
enhancing access to research collections, and reinforcing our role as the world's leading center for golf scholarship. So I have a great team that works with me, but those are sort of my main roles. Love it. Now, how long have you been with the USGA? I've been with USGA almost five years now. I started out um, in the library, which, no surprise, is the greatest kept secret in the entire world, um, and worked in the library for four years before becoming director last year. For our young listeners, what is the best path for a young history lover to find a path into working for the USGA Museum? Well, we have lots of uh, great opportunities for people to be able to get involved with uh, our library and our collection in particular. So we do have an internship program every summer that um, is open to applications, mostly in the collections space. Um, So you can apply through that. But also we have a great number of people who volunteer with us. Now we're discovering volunteering on a remote basis, which is been interesting for us, but definitely possible. There's there's no shortage of work to be done. And we always encourage people who are interested and excited to reach out at any time. Got lots to do. If I were a young high school kid and I had my eyes set on working for the USGA Golf Museum, what would you be what what would I be looking to maybe study in school? Well, it depends. You know, our museum has a lot of different core functions. So one of them, of course, is the care of the collection. So that's kind of a generally a museum studies or a library studies background. That's the path through which most of the museum staff has come. We're, you know, we like to say that we are museum professionals first and golf is sort of our subject matter. So that's kind of the traditional path. But also we have a very vibrant public programming um, calendar that we have. So we've had interns who have had backgrounds in marketing, communications, um, working with our social media platforms. So that's another avenue. Um, And a third is history. Our history team has degrees in history. Um, and has expertise in in research and writing. So lots of times. I'm glad I asked that question. I wouldn't have anticipated a couple of those. Now, Howard, um, your name is extremely well known in the art world, specifically in the medium of photographs. Uh, I know we're here to talk about the vast collection of golf photographs uh, that are now uh, going to the United States Golf Association Museum. But I was hoping you can give our audience a glimpse into your passion of the captured image. Well, it started for me at a very young age. Uh, when I was about 10 years old, I was given a birthday present of a early Japanese rangefinder camera, which were fabulous cameras, great optics. Uh, and I literally had that in my pocket for the next 10 years. And uh, the history of photography was also a great passion for me because my father used to take me to some old bookshops in uh, in on Fourth Avenue in in Manhattan in New York, looking for old Civil War photography, which he had a passion for. So, uh, uh, and and then when I was in high school, just before I entered high school, I started playing golf at a local uh, city course in New York, and would take my little plastic golf bag with some borrowed clubs from an uncle and take the subway up to Van Cortland Park. And uh, it got to a point where I was literally going every day after school. So 
for me, it was a combination of uh, my passion for photography and my passion for golf that led me down. Hey, this but path. your collection, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, has extended beyond go- vintage golf uh, photographs, correct? Absolutely. In fact, it started out uh, at the very beginning with, uh, as I mentioned, Civil War photography, but quickly went overseas and I started studying the early paper processes, uh, which began in uh, in Scotland mostly, and uh, spent a lot of time in the UK uh, studying, going to auctions, uh, going to flea markets, and studying the early processes, so I was able to identify uh, the various uh, early paper uh, and chemicals that were used in in the 1840s and 1850s. Uh, Interestingly, um, professional golf started around the same time that photography was invented. Fascinating. Um, Can you maybe walk through, for those at home that don't understand it, the the earliest of photographs, as I understand it, and and Howard, if I'm wrong, you just come right out and correct me, uh, that they would have to stand in place for some time to get that exposure. Is that correct? That is correct. And in fact, you'll see a lot of ghosting in the early uh, paper images. Uh, So the uh, uh, sitter would have to sit still for, in some cases, 10 or 15 minutes. I I don't know if I have a handle on it or not, but is that the reason why most people didn't smile in those early photographs? Or... Is that more of a, I don't, I was almost thinking, is it a hygiene issue where they didn't have good teeth? Well, <laughs> could right? be all of the above. I, I, I tend to think that it was just a, a sign of the times. You know, life was kind of tough. You know, they didn't have uh, iPhones and uh, computers and uh, access to, uh, you know, Whole Foods or whatever supermarket you go to. So walk me through your, your the beginnings of your collection into vintage golf photographs. Do you remember the first item that you picked up? Vague remembrance. Uh, it was, a, I believe, a photograph of Bobby Jones uh, swinging a club in perhaps the first Masters. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but that well preceded my passion for building this collection. What I think is fascinating is uh, the connection between your the vintage uh, photograph uh, collection and your playing of Van Cortlandt Park, which was you know the country's first public golf course. I find that a really fascinating, this, how those two are correlated. And in fact, uh, one of my sort of subconscious searches in, in my collecting uh, golf photographs was to try to find some early images of Dan Cortland Park. Uh, I don't think I, I was ever successful. I saw some reproductions, but never some or any original photos. Your collection is staggering. I've gone through it uh, the last, I'd say, the last week in some depth. Before we dive into the specifics that I, I find uh, fascinating or, or the topics, how did you go about obtaining personal collections from old Tom Morris, Freddie Tate, Bernard Darwin, and the famous St. Andrews families of Octorloni and Fowlis? Well, I knew at the very beginning uh, when I sort of mapped out my plan for the collection that I couldn't do it all myself. So what I did was surrounded myself, as most CEOs do in major corporations, they surround themselves with, with people smarter than them and, and, and have who have more experience. And in this case, I surrounded myself with 
golf historians, old book dealers, Scottish auction houses, and people who had a who I knew already had a passion for what I was ready to get into, and uh, picked their brains. And uh, in a short period of time, they realized that there was a buyer who uh, was building a collection. So it was an amazing thing on how much great material was available at that time that just came to me uh, that was hidden away in libraries and collections, uh, private collections, uh, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. You have over a thousand images that are, are going to the United States Golf Association. How long did it take you to amass that collection? Approximately 20 years. Walk me through this a little bit. Were they, and I'm, I'm sure it's a combination of both, but were they um, bulk acquisitions or were they on a singular nature? For the most part, it was one small step at a time. Which is I thought it'd be piece. the other way around, to be honest with uh, you. That's amazing. I, you know, I wish I could have said that, uh, oh, well, 20 years ago, I bought this huge collection of 1,000 photographs and my job was done. But... <laughs> <laughs> it does doesn't work that way when you're building when you're trying to curate uh, a thematic collection like this where what you're fighting in the very beginning is the insane rarity of this material and especially when you're digging through back to the 1840s 50s and 60s um, you know you have other issues too uh, 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 a lot of these photographs were, were printed on paper that had a lot of acidic content so that the Paper itself was in a process of deteriorating from the moment it was made. Um, you had famines and wars, which you know created great poverty and need for. Uh, you know, uh, I was in I was in Russia for several years, and so much paper goods were burned just to survive the the, the winters. So there were always obstacles that I was trying to. Uh, you know, just uh, breeze by and, and try to understand uh, the context in which I was, I was collecting. The United States Golf Association's museum is already home to one of the greatest stockpiles of golf-related photographs and images. In the realm, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, of 750,000. How did you become aware of Howard's collection, and why was it important to add it to the museum's collection? Well, um, you're correct. We had um, the USGA Photo Archive has about 750,000 images, and each year we add close to 15,000 images from our championships and building our collection, and um, that's sort of a normal practice of what we do. And all museums add to their collection through collections priorities. So for us, uh, those collections priorities allow us to sort of make strategic decisions about artifacts and collections that we can add and it's it's generally a best practice you know even though we have the largest collection to continue to strive to fill in gaps in what we had so we had known about Howard's collection obviously for years um, and he was someone who we respected the the care and time that he took to invest in his collection um, it was something that we had been looking forward to acquiring and felt like the time was right to to begin the conversation about talking about the USGA as a long-term repository for it. And, you know, you'll hear this from Howard. You don't have to hear it from me. This is a true museum-quality 
fine art collection. And Howard was very, very precise about the manner in which he acquired the images. And, you know, the provenance is ironclad. Many of these photographs were sourced from personal collections, as you mentioned. And there's a continued interest in golf photography from the early, you know, the early history of the game that mirrors the early history of photography. A lot of a lot of aspects of Howard's collection were of tremendous value to us. Um, and I, I think another thing was that Howard in our conversations wanted to maintain the collection in its entirety. And um, there are really very few institutions who are capable of sort of making that kind of commitment to do that and share it. And we had the, um, resources and the interest and the commitment to do it. And so we were thrilled that we could make it yeah, it's happen. It's a beautiful time capsule of golf's history, at least from what, 1840 on. Um, I look at it as photographs capture the human experience. From your perspective, this is a question for both of you. Uh, what about the collection can we learn from our golfing forefathers and foremothers? Howard, if you want to start, that'd be fine. Well, it's a great question, and uh, uh, it's incredibly important to look at historical perspective, uh, especially in trying times like we're in today. Maybe there's something we can learn from it. But in the case of this collection, uh, it truly is a time capsule of this period, uh, meaning from 1850 through the literally the First World War. And... I know young people today don't seem to have the same um, love for history as Hillary. I know you have, and, and, and I had at a very young age. Uh, I've always had, I used to spend hours and hours listening to uh, and reading historical biographies. Um, and it's only through knowledge of how human survival and persistence uh, endured in hard times can we understand how for, first of all how fortunate we are today and in, in, in what we have and what we can possibly do not to lose it I think for me um, one of the great things about Howard's collection and his the way he curated the collection was he had a really keen eye for capturing the essence of people in a more candid way. So a lot of the photos in the collection are not, you know, a typical trophy shot of a USGA champion holding a trophy, but something that's much more personal and more intimate. So for me, the biggest takeaway is really how relatable these characters become. And for as much as the game of golf continues to grow and change and modernize, it's clear that it stays the same and that these same ideals and concepts have continued through time and are well captured in this collection. And it's, it's very clear the types of photos are very different from the ones that we had in our collection or other ones that you've seen. Even if the subjects are the same, I think Howard's focus really on the human aspect of the subjects in the photos is what makes this collection so exceptional. I agree with that. I, I think th there's two things for me that stand out um, that I, I find fascinating. The first one is from a pure golf history standpoint. It really covers the collection, that is, really covers the um, expanse in the game from three different generations of golf. You have the feathery era, 
the Gutty era and the Wound Ball era. So there, I think there's an argument to be made from this collection that it goes as far back as, you know, kind of the original ball of, of ancient times, the feathery ball, all the way into what I would call the startings of the modern game, which were, you know, 1900 to 1915, right before World War I. I find that fascinating that that's in there. The second part that I absolutely adore, the, uh, the part that really rivets me is a lot of times we see collections, um, or I see collections, that'd be a better way of putting it, that are really um, male-centric. Um, you know, a lot of the photos you see, even, even in museums, not, I'm not pointing at the USGA here, but just in collections, I should say, are of male golfers. And the collection here, and I know we're going to go into it in a little bit more detail as I go on the podcast here, but there is a large section that follows the female golf experience in the early days of golf. And I think that's to be commended. Let's jump into part of the collections. Let's go through some of the uh, questions or comments or, or the flow of some of the primary parts of the collection. I'm going to start off with a 1911 U.S. Amateur. I, Howard, I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this, I was shocked uh, at how extensive the photographic experience was for the 1911 U.S. Amateur. Where did you find these photos? Where did they originate from? Well, I, I like to preface what I'm going to say by, by mentioning that you never, and I'll stress the word never, find a comprehensive collection of original photographs from right. one major tournament. So when I, uh, and I believe I found that collection uh, from a, an old-time um, golf memorabilia dealer who is displaying at, uh, on his table um, at a golf collector society convention in Las Vegas many years ago. And I walked by and he said, I'd like to show you something. And from underneath the table, he pulls out this, uh, these album pages uh, that and each page had somewhere around 20 photographs on them pasted to the uh, old page and I immediately saw that they were original vintage photographs from, from this period. And, um, and it was identified as the 1911 uh, primary press agencies that were photographing sports tournaments during that time. And uh, I have suspicions. I, I know which one, but, uh, you know, my research never went far enough to positively identify that. But uh, it's extraordinary to find that many photographs. And, and, and you can see major champions from other years and other tournaments within these photographs as well, which makes it so great. Uh, and there was, and this tournament had a lot of controversy involved with it. So, uh, uh, just made it a very special acquisition for me. Howard, uh, if you want to go into the history behind, I know it was Harold Hilton's, uh, victory, uh, in the U S amateur, which I know, uh, made him the first man ever to win the U S amateur and the British amateur in the same year. I'm not aware of the controversy, however. 
Well, Hilton won the tournament, and some people claim that he stole the tournament uh, on the 18th hole of a playoff with Fred Hershoff, who has um, faded from history because he never won a major tournament. This was his great opportunity. And uh, Hilton hit a stray approach to the green on the 18th that went into the boulders that were surrounding the green. And coincidentally, his supporters and his friends from Great Britain were sitting on that boulder. Uh, Miraculously, when the golfers got to the green, Hilton's ball was on the green, I believe within 10 or 12 feet of the cup. And it was shocking, you know, to, 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 you know, to, to, to both golfers that Hilton's ball wound up there. And it was perhaps a, a happy accident or possibly there was some nefarious things going on. Uh, there's been a few things written about it, speculating that his friends just picked the ball up from wherever it wound up landing and threw it onto the green. Um, to me, that holds water, but uh, I'm still waiting. I was going to say, is, we don't have the photograph, D. Howard. How did we drop the ball on that? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. I just, I don't know how I missed yeah, it. Yeah, it still could be the one with a guy with a ball in the air. I don't even, uh, Hillary, I don't even know what we'd do with that if you found that. I, I <laughs> call up Mike Davis. <laughs> be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So, Hillary, let me ask you this from a collection standpoint, and Howard, you as well. Do, do we know of any other early major championships with this extensive of a snapshot into the golf experience of a major? Not this early. That's the, that's yep. the trigger point, isn't it? This early in the game, generally you seem to see one or two, and it's usually of the champion uh, standing with a trophy or without a trophy. You definitely, I, I just haven't seen anything quite like it. Howard, to be honest with you. No, I mean, I've, I've run across small groups of two or three, possibly four photographs from the same tournament, but never something this extensive where it was obvious that a photographer had followed uh, the tournament from beginning to end and, and really did a great job and, you know, had the proper equipment and uh, whoever printed these photographs did a fabulous job as well. Did the collector who had them in the album really know what he had? Well, it was purchased from a dealer. Uh, and yes, he knew what he had. I don't know whether he actually understood the rarity and importance of this, this archive from a, from a tournament. One of the things that makes, that makes, this collection cool is I, I was going to agree with Howard. We, we certainly don't have anything that's this early. We have, you know, scrapbooks and photo albums of championships around that time, a little bit later, but not quite as extensive. But this, this collection in particular comes pretty close to the type of championship photography that we see today. You know, you get all, all different views of the tournament, you know, gallery shots and clubhouse shots and, the players playing. I mean, it's it's really magnificent, um, and and certainly nothing we've seen to date comes even close. And I'll just add that that you feel like you're you're there, you're in the gallery, gallery, and and you're watching the tournament, uh, going through you know chronologically each piece in the album. 
uh, it's a very good point, Hillary. So I guess this question's for both of you before we move on to the, uh, the ladies. Uh, what are your takeaways from this specific collection? Howard, what do you think? Yeah, from the, from, from the, the 1911. 1911. Like, you found it, uh, you've preserved it. Maybe, I guess, what, what's your lasting snapshot, if you will, of that collection? What stands out to you? Uh, what does it mean, um, you know, along those lines? Well, as a detective of golf photography and trying to find the rarest and, and, and uh, most important historical material that exists, I would bet money that there are other collections that still exist like that in both public and private archives that never see the light of day and never will. And this is one of the reasons that I'm so pleased that the USJ Museum now has this collection because I know that it will be preserved and long after I'm gone, uh, students of the game, uh, lovers of the game will be able to you know, be able to visit the museum and see the collection within the within the context under which I had collected it. That's great. Hillary, what do you think? How will the USGA display these photographs? What importance does it have to the museum? Um, well, certainly immediately, um, and you, you have seen it, the images in the collection have already informed so much content that the USGA is producing both in print and on digital channels. Um, right in the inaugural issue of Golf Journal, when we relaunched it in the spring, we had a 12-page photo essay about the collection. Um, there was some images from the collection on the broadcast of the Women's Amateur over the weekend. It's been on our social media platforms. The, the ability for it, for the collection, for it to help us complete the story of how we talk about golf history and our championships is exceptional. And as I mentioned earlier, while many of the subjects are the same, um, the images themselves and the stories that those images tell are quite different. Um, and it really just allows us to round out the story and be able to better tie the sort of history of um, golf in America with, you know, the early history of photography and, and cultural history as well, which is what we at the museum are interested in. And one of the things I think the 1911, you know, U.S. Amateur album shows us, it shows us how in a moment in time people were experiencing golf which is not, not something that, um, you know, you have a really full picture of to that extent. And it's of interest, I think, to people who are not only golf historians, but people who are interested in cultural history and the human experience. And that's as much important to us at the museum as it is to capture the story of golf. So um, we see lots of, yeah, lots I think of you possibilities for that Hillary. as well. Um, you know, when I look through a lot of vintage photographs of golf, you know, heck, even going into like, say, 1930, very few collections that I've seen really have this comprehensive uh, of, a, of a collection of the event. And specifically to crowd size, I find it fascinating because usually you just get one photograph of an event and there's, I don't know, a thousand people around the green it really doesn't allow you to capture how many people attended the event. How did they um, enjoy the event? 
you know, walking down fairways versus having galleries and, and those galleries, what were their sizes? And, you know, how did they perceive the events that were going right. on? And this is a great, again, time capsule that really allows you to look throughout the event totally. and see how, you know, spectators and, and patrons enjoyed the event. Yes, and the focus in that early championship photography is so often on the players and what's happening on the golf course, on the green or on the tee. And I think what makes this cool is it totally takes you back in time to Apollonis, which is an amazing club. You can just, you know, insert yourself there um, and the sense of, you know, fashion that you get and engagement watching sport. There's so much that you can glean not about golf from that collection that has tremendous value. The other collection within the collection, I might add, is that I love is the early female golf experience, including photos of the first women's U.S. amateur winner, Lucy Barnes-Brown. Howard, again, I have to ask, how did you come upon this collection? Was this a piece by piece or was this a larger acquisition? This was done all at once. Uh, It was not a large collection. It it obviously had come from a family album. The photographs, the original photographs themselves are quite small. And uh, a lot of these uh, family albums were very intimate and designed to be, you know, passed around to the family during holiday events and dinners. And um, at first I wasn't, a hundred percent sure what I was looking at, but the album had enough notations in it that I was able to pretty easily narrow it down to this tournament. And uh, then I did a little research on, and it was a little difficult to identify faces and body types. Uh, but you know, eventually, you know, you spend enough time on it, and I had a few. Uh, a few people helping me with this few, few um, uh, just friends who you know were in awe at all these acquisitions I was making, uh, but um, it was a, it, it was all purchased at the same time, and I would like to say that uh, it you know it took a lot of effort. You know sometimes these things appear in front of you. It's a very serendipitous occurrence and. Um, you know what? I was never, uh, I was never hesitant to add the, to the collection, and it's not like every acquisition was a success either. I mean, there were many pieces that wound up being put into a box of, you know, a discarded box of interesting photographs, but ones that yeah, I ne- knew that I was never able to identify. Compelling, essentially, right? Right, and didn't belong in the collection because it it didn't it it, it didn't uh, fit into the thematic uh, uh, resonance of the collection in that you know major tournament, major champion. Totally get what you just said, <laughs> where you acquire something at first and you think, oh, this is going to fit in great, and then it just doesn't. It just doesn't hit thematically or historically, or it just doesn't. As I always tell people. When you look at my collection or walk into my golfing office, everything has to tell a story and it has to be a very specific story that I want told. And if it doesn't fit, you, I, I tell people you'd be surprised if some of the things I've let go over the years with some regret, perhaps post haste, but uh, you know, it just didn't fit what I was trying to accomplish. 
Precisely. And uh, in fact, I can uh, tell you many stories of photographs that were sold to me, uh, identified as one golfer, and it wound up not being that, that golfer at all. Uh, absolutely all the time. And uh, yeah, not, not everyone is diligent in their research. You have to do a deep dive sometimes when someone just has a single photograph. It doesn't tell, it doesn't give you enough information a lot of times. Uh, how are this collection of photos, by the way, of, of the ladies is, is extremely, to me, overwhelming because you collected both British and American women golfing amateurs. You know, beyond that initial collection, what compelled you to build upon it? And why was it important to you to have the, as full of a view as you can of the female golf experience? Well, most of my colleagues in golf collecting, especially golf photography collecting, uh, mostly in the UK, uh, I know were secretly laughing at me when I was asking for women, early women's golfers. And that made it even 10 times more important to me to, 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 to find these photographs because um, if you think the early men's photographs are rare, rare, try to find early women's photographs. It's, it's truly impossible. And Every once in a while, a stray photograph or two would appear at a old Scottish auction, or uh, they were always in, in these places where you had to dig pretty deep to find. And to me, that just adds to the uh, pleasure of the treasure hunt, and especially when you when you wind up finding something that is that you know is historically incredibly important to the women's game, uh, you know, it's great satisfaction. have never seen many of these photographs. Uh, and in my opinion, you know, in the history of women's golf is completely undershared, under-researched, and underappreciated. How do these images to you, Howard, and then Hillary, preserve the history of women's golf? Well, so little is no, known about the early game, I believe. I don't think a lot has been written on it. Uh, that, uh, once again, you know, from the very beginning, I knew I couldn't collect golf photographs without really exploring the possibility of building a, a women's uh, photography collection. And I think the first photograph I found, which is still part of the collection related to women's golf, I do not think has a major champion in it, but it was one of the most extraordinarily artistic photographs depicting women and women's, women golfers of the 19th century. And it was taken at the, um, if, if I'm correct, it was called the Old Calcutta Women's Golf Club. And you had the, all the members sitting in front of a, a tent in some city, uh, some village or, or town in India. And it really has an old colonial feel. And, uh, and, and the quality of the photograph is fabulous. And it's a fairly large print as well. So it's just a, a, it's, it, it would make a great centerpiece for a museum exhibition. How do these images help preserve the history of women's golf? Well, for us, for the museum, telling the story of women has always been a collecting priority. And as Howard was saying, you know, the history of women's golf is often overlooked. And as historians, we often have to piece together as best we can the story that we have for the ladies. So the fact that we have such a large collection of the early women's game here um, is exceptional. And in some cases, 
you know, this is the only record of how these ladies played and contributed in the way that they did. And for us, um, this is a great example of how, you know, sometimes the museum, the USGA museum is the only institution who will kind of take on um, building a collection and kind of elevating that story. And in this case, you know, Howard gave us a heads up, heads up lift there and, and did that work. Um, it's, it's super important. And in addition, the entire museum staff is made up entirely of women. So we love elevating stories that are often overlooked that we can share. Um, and as Howard said, it's, it's super, super important in the collection. I always give uh, credit to the United States Golf Association, specifically uh, the, the founders of the USGA, for having the foresight to have not only the 1895, the first uh, men's U.S. amateur, but also to have a women's U.S. amateur. Uh, in the same year, 1895. And uh, how timely that we're having this conversation with the finale of the 2020 Women's U.S. Amateur, which just uh, occurred this last weekend, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, women's, you know, women's championship golf and women have always been involved, at least in the USGA from the very beginning. And, and that's an important story for us to tell. But, but also, um, important to tell it in parallel to the story of men playing the game because women had as much of a dynamic role in shaping the game of golf as men did. And, you know, we look, we take that responsibility very seriously to tell this story. Yeah, I think the other thing that stands out um, in these photos, what I love is I always tell people the most beautiful trophy that you can win uh, is awarded to uh, the ladies. It's the Robert Cox Trophy. And some of these old images actually have the Robert Cox Trophy in them, which is fantastic. Folks at home, if you've never seen the Robert Cox Trophy, uh, that's a C-O-X Trophy, uh, look it up. It is one of the most gorgeous things you will ever see. And some of these vintage photos capture that. It's amazing. Yeah, we just posted um, on our USGA Golf Museum Facebook page a lot of women's amateur content over the weekend. And there's a big section about the trophy and lots of images there. So yeah, be sure to now, there Howard and, and Hillary, this goes to both of you. Are there Im any images in this collection that grab your attention? Well, for me, uh, yeah, for me, only about 500 of them. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Exactly. Because every single piece for me tells a story. And some of these stories are yet to be known and yet to be discovered. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you that I can give you a wax on poetically about, you know, stories of, of each particular one. But um, particularly, I love the George Pitzker photographs of some of the early American champions like Johnny McDermott, uh, even Byers, um, because they all have um, stories, albeit tragedies. Uh, and... Um, and to me, that's the human, as Hillary mentioned before, it's the human element of the human experience that resonates for me in telling the story. And now, and the, and the collection itself is, is a story until, unto itself. So individual photographs, uh, you know, can speak pretty loudly if you want to uh, take a pretty hard look at them. I was going to say with the women, you know, for us, certainly the, the 1895 women's amateur photos are exceptional. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking here with my, you know, USGA champion hat on USGA championship hat on, um, previously in the collection, you know, we had one photo of Lucy Barnes Brown, for example, but the photos that 
what Howard's photos add to the collection to be able to share the stories of Lucy Barnes Brown, Beatrix Hoyt, um, Margaret Curtis, and, uh, and the photos from the British ladies amateur, um, Lottie Dodd and Mae Heslett. There are just, again, it's so rare to have championship photographs from so early in time, and particularly such early photos of the women's game. And it just shows, again, that the growth of golf really parallels the growth of photography quite closely and that those championships were documented. Um, it, it's yeah, really amazing. I, I agree with you 100% there, Hillary. I, I think stands out to me from the women's collection, perhaps selfishly, are the photos of Alexa Sterling, who 100 years ago this year claimed her third women's amateur championship in a row. Uh, she was a product of Atlanta golf next to Bobby Jones and was coached under Stuart Maiden. So it was great to see that she was in there along with some of the, the greats. I think the Lucy Barnes Brown photos, those, uh, uh, if there were photos in there, uh, Howard, that took my breath away, it was probably that one uh, or those series of photos. I was not aware of that many photos uh, or series of photos of our first women's U.S. amateur champion. Uh, and I know that that was the one that kind of took my breath away. Like, wow. Um, I was going to go into George uh, Pietzker's work here. Um, I'm a huge fan of his work. Howard, as a collector, his work from a photo, the photographic experience is considered some of the best, uh, specifically in his portraits. Maybe if you could, what made him such a great photographer? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, uh, I consider him to be the greatest golf photographer of the 20th century. And um, we, can, we can probably talk for, for hours why, and a lot of it is kind of subjective. But he was very diligent in photographing major American tournaments uh, for several decades in the early 20th century. He was persistent. The body of work is uh, beyond comparison. He also uh, was a master printer of these photographs. He used you know, the equipment he used to, you know, uh, high, high, very high quality f- photographs. And the paper that he printed on was some of the best uh available photographic paper of the early 20th century that were used by some of the great masters of photography outside of golf uh, of the 20th century. So it was a convergence of all of these elements that to me elevates his his photographic body of work far above anybody else who is a practitioner in in that day. His photographs are, there's no other way to say it is that they're, they're just works of art. Aren't they? I mean, I think everything about oh, them, absolutely are um, yes. from just the image, the shadows, the setting, the I don't know. I, I think there's a proportionality to his photos that that is more than just a photograph. I think that's the easiest way I can explain it without having your expertise. Well, there uh, he, he produced a series called National Golf Champions, and most of the major golf clubs in the United States in the day would purchase sets of these photographs, frame them, and hang them in their clubhouses. And 
no other photographer can can boast that. So uh, yeah, it was recognized at the time of being the high point of uh, golf photography. Yeah, the other thing I want to commend you on is uh, I have you know I've been a collector for I don't know fifteen years or something like that. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen this many pieces of Pietzger's work. I mean, it, you had a, a very extensive collection of his photography. I imagine that was built over time. Is that fair to say? Early on, yeah. It, it, took, it took the entire length of time I was building this collection to find all of these Pietzkers. Uh, and even to the very end of the collecting, I would only purchase photographs that would make the collection better. And uh, whenever the name Pietzker came up at an auction or uh, an offering to me of a photograph, uh, I would just b- buy it sight unseen only because... Um, I was trying to build the definitive collection of Pizka photographs that was extant outside of the USGA Museum's collection. Did you think you did you accomplish it, Howard? Well, let's. You know, I I can't say that it was it was better. Which one is was a better collection? But together, it's the uh, you know it's not, it could never be matched again. It's a yeah. I would I I would say from my perspective you know, what the Pietzgers in particular add, or what rather Howard's choice of curating the Pietzger photos adds is he picks this sort of humanizing element. So the collection of Pietzgers from the 1921 U.S. Open, for example, we have plenty of photos from the 1921 U.S. Open, but those photos in particular are not just a simple sort of trophy shot or a posed portrait. It's what the image adds to telling the story. Um, and there's a specific angle that this collection fills for the museum, not only in terms of telling the USGA's institutional history with Pietzger's role as one of the official photographers of the association, but also the close ties to the history of American golf. So certainly the, the combination of the collections now, I would think is unmatched. Well said. Uh, let's jump into one of my favorite photos. It might be the, my favorite, favorite photo out of this entire collection. Um, one just stands out to me. And to me, it's a near mystical photo that is weighed down in sadness. Uh, Howard, do you know which photo I'm talking about? It must be old Tom in the cemetery. Oh, tell us a little bit about that photograph. Like, tell, if you could set up the scene for the folks listening. Well, uh, the tradition in St. Andrews was to bury all of their champion golfers when they passed away in the uh, uh, St. Andrews Cemetery. And uh, young Tom had had a glorious career in his 20s before he uh, prematurely passed away from uh, what some people called a broken heart from his wife's passing uh, the year before, but was probably due to exposure at a golf tournament that was played in the snow. Uh, I believe it was at Prestwick. Uh, And in in any event, um, uh, Scotland was mourning, and uh, this photograph was taken probably about 10 years after his death, and and his grave was memorialized with... uh, um, 
sort of entombed in, in, in a stone carving. And, um, and this is old Tom who, um, in his great sadness slumped over, was walking through the cemetery in his overcoat. Um, the photograph itself is probably the epitome of fine art photography in golf collecting of, of the 19th century. Yeah, it seems to have almost a misty fog about it. I mean, just the way it was taken, it's a moving photo. Um, I, you know, it's one golfing giant in our history mourning, you know, the loss of his son, who was another magnificent giant in golf's history. Out of all these photos uh, that you have that tell the most uh, amazing stories, this one to me seems to tell the story of the most human experience, which is loss. Yes. How did you acquire this photo? Early on in my collecting, uh, an old book dealer from New England uh, who was somehow miraculous, miraculously able to find some real treasures because of his extensive experience in dealing with uh, uh, golf memorabilia, golf book, golf photography collectors, both in the UK and the US. Uh, would offer me just fabulous items. And this particular one had a very interesting story behind it because it was in a frame, an old period frame, with, um, f I believe, four other photographs pasted on a board uh, as sort of as a mosaic. And um, the, the frame was shipped to me, and, and the frame was in really poor condition. So I had... So I actually, I took it out of the frame and not immediately though, but fairly soon thereafter, I was just taking a really good look at the frame. And I noticed that the name Alan McPhee, A. McPhee was um, in red pencil on the backing, uh, backing piece of wood to the frame, inside the frame. And McPhee is a very interesting character in golf history himself. He won the first British amateur, the first amateur championship, I believe it was 1887 or 1888. And because there was really no money in golf, especially as an amateur, that was his, basically his, his claim to fame in, in, in golf history. And he immediately retired from golf and took up photography. And being a confidant and a very good friend of old Tom Morris, uh, he took all of the photographs that were in this frame, each one depicted old Tom. And uh, I can just assume that McPhee brought the photographs into a framer, had them paste these photographs onto this board and frame it. And the framer probably put McPhee's name inside it to identify the owner of these pieces. So um, definitely the provenance is McPhee. The, you know, did McPhee actually take these photographs? Well, Horace Hutchinson, um, in one of his early books, did mention that McPhee was very much a photographer after his, uh, his uh, amateur championship win. So, you know, just connecting the dots, I would have to think it was a McPhee photograph. Unbelievable. I mean, in, out of all the things, out of all the great finds, what a t it's a very... I guess, private but touching moment in golf history where you have two of the greatest champions of all time and one has passed and one stands over. 
Precisely. I would call it a holy grail of golf yeah, photography. It's just, Hillary, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, like when you saw that image, I'm sure you had a similar response. Yeah, well, I should say, you know, when I first saw Howard's collection, I think drooling would be the appropriate right. no, phrase. It's, I it's just, fair. I, 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 I cannot reiterate enough, you know, the what it is like to see these photographs and the entire collection in person. And obviously being with Howard and hearing him talk about the way he acquired these photos and how he built the collection was so compelling. Um, so it was, it was really a pleasure to be able to see um, everything in its, in the way that Howard had collected it, this and the many others, I mean, the, the Pitzkers and the, everything certainly this photo i think i agree with howard has a has a real fine art quality about it um in the fact that it sort of transcends golf photography i think you could place it very easily in an exhibition of you know early photography and it appeals to me certainly as someone with an art history background um but yeah definitely magical as many of the photos are um Hillary, let's jump into the to, to the now. Uh, how how does the USGA care for these images going forward? What's the process of caring for some of these ancient artifacts? So Howard was very diligent in the way, obviously his background in the way he cared for the photographs when they were in his possession. So everything from the very beginning was in archival folders and archival boxes. So even when the collection was transported to us, it's safe and sound in the way it, it was always resting. So we're certainly grateful for that. Um, we're currently in the process of continuing to digitize the collection to make more of the images um, accessible. We sort of did a first kind of pass through um, to use it for golf journal essay and, and some of the other things. But our primary focus, once we return back to the museum with some regularity, will be to continue to catalog the collection and digitize it um, to make sure it's accessible. And um, we'll keep the images here for a time, looking definitely to plan some sort of ex- exhibition for the photos. Not sure when that will be, as our like the whole world, our, our exhibition calendar has gone up in the air. But the, the, the value of these photographs as artifacts is tremendously important and want to be able to provide people with that in-person experience to look at them, have the benefit of, of you know, what Howard's had for so many years and what we get to have seeing them in person. And in terms of content, you know, as I said, the images will inform kind of USGA content going forward, which is which is great. And there's been a lot of, a tremendous amount of interest in the collection. Um, and I think we're looking forward to be able to share more of it with people. So that'll be our main focus. Would this be, I mean, let's, let's say under normal circumstances, would this be the type of collection that might, you know, roam around the country in exhibits or how would you see that in under normal conditions? Yeah, it's certainly possible. You know, we are concerned, not concerned, but um, in terms of thinking of the photos as artifacts, we would only exhibit them for a limited amount of time. So wouldn't want to expose them to all of them to light for, you know, let's say more than three to six months at a time. 
so we would be a little creative in terms of kind of showing them and then taking them off and showing them and taking them off. But certainly with photography, um, it's much easier than moving around, you know, clubs and balls and golf bags and hats and shoes and things like that. Um, and hopeful that we can definitely share it with people outside of Liberty Corner. That's great. So, uh, is there any way for people or collectors to acquire copies of these photographs? Sure. So we have um, our photo archive uh, is currently um, available to members of the media and people who share our stories. Um, and in addition to that, writers or researchers, people, members of the public, people interested can get in contact with our photo request staff to get assistance with any project that they might be working on. We do have a separate section of the photo archive with photos from the Schickler collection. Um, one of my main goals um, is increasing access to all of our collections. So we're hoping to have more on that coming up. But in the interim, you can just get in contact with us with what you're looking for, and we'll be happy to help you out. Uh, Howard, I got a question for you before we wrap up. Uh, where do you go from here? Are you going to start another golf uh, photography collection? Do you, what, yeah, where, what do you do? How do you, how do you proceed? Well, um, there is not enough, there are not, not enough days left for me to, to build another. Howard, golf don't photography. sell yourself short. You got time. <laughs> I would say that the possibility of building another collection like this, uh, I would put in the impossible kind of been um, just because there's not enough time for anybody to um, uh, spend the kilowatts, you know, the resources, the personal resources uh, that it takes to, um, to, to, you know, not only get the historical perspective and the knowledge to do something like this, but to actually go out in the field and do it and do it. Uh, I have other collections that I'm constantly trying to figure out exactly the, the best uh, place for them. Um, it's unfortunate that they don't see the light of day. They're in archival boxes in a storage closet in my home now. And uh, so I'm just concentrating on that at this point. I think my collecting days are over. Um, I don't think you can tempt me. If you have a great golf photograph, let me know and I'll let Hillary That's know right. right away. Please do. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I was, I was just going to ask that question. Like, what if the, the next holy grail of golf photos shows up? You're not going to have the itch, Howard? Oh, it, I will not let it get away, but it belongs in the USGA collection. So that, uh, yeah, so uh, unquestionably. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me today on the Talking Golf History Podcast. As a lover of art, and more specifically, a lover of golf art, uh, this has been a very special episode for me. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks, Connor. It's been a pleasure. Uh, the history of golf is filled with delightful stories, characters, and legends. If it weren't for collectors like Howard Schickler and archives like the USGA Museum, some of that visual history would be lost forever. Golf is a beautiful game, and Howard and Hillary are doing their part to paint it. Yours in golf history, this is Connor T. Lewis. <laughs>